What you're about to listen to may include some potty talk. Then again, it may not. I hope it does, though. It's Wednesday, January 30th, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Apple has stepped in and kicked out an app from their store. This happens. What hasn't happened before is who was behind the app in question? Facebook. The Facebook research app does not adhere to Apple's standards of privacy, even though it adheres to Facebook standards of privacy, which are, looking it up now, none, none, but a doe-eyed Mark Zuckerberg will promise to do better next time. Just as perhaps Mike Bloomberg can be a check on Tom Steyer, who might cancel out Howard Schultz, who in turn can limit the appeal of Mike Bloomberg, perhaps now as a country we've outsourced the control and corralling of a runaway tech company, Facebook, to another runaway tech company, Apple. And this has been Tech Talk. Next in Tech Talk, the faddish but highly successful mini video app, TikTok, which has been experimenting with ads. Ads on TikTok could transform the app with half a billion global users. And that was TikTok Tech Talk, available in this format and as a TED Talk. And we'll use that TED Talk to walk you through things in a moment-by-moment, as-they-happened account. Yes, it'll be a TikTok Ted Talk, Tech Talk TikTok. And listen, you think this is easy that I could just come up with a TikTok like that? No, you got to work your sources. How do you get them to trust you? Well, I'll tell you. It takes tack to talk tech on the TED Talk, Tech Talk, TikTok, TikTok. And that's for a basic Tech Talk, TED Talk, TikTok. You want to go to the next level? That'd be a tricked out Tech Talk, TED Talk, TikTok. Some of no truck with a tricked out Tech Talk, TED Talk, TikTok. Others say it leaves them feeling dirty, like they have to pop in a breath mint. I say try a Tic Tac for the tricked out Tech Talk, TED Talk, TikTok. Or not. You might find it, I don't know. A ticky-tack tactic to try a tic-tac for the tricked-out tech talk, TED Talk, TikTok. But what I am saying is, Apple, please, Apple, save us from Facebook. And while you're at it, Twitter, can you buy them and turn them nice? This is Mike Pesca with Tech Talk. On the show today, I will spiel about some of the richer men running for president. But first, something that even the poorest man might share with the richest man. But not now, because a billionaire can afford to treat his colon right. It is the device known as the Squatty Potty, and perhaps appropriately, in a cross-species sort of way, we are going to apply the is that bullshit metric and question to this device. Squatty Potties, are they bullshit? So you know me a little bit. I'm somewhat scattered. And you know Maria Konnikova, who joins us for the Is That Bullshit segments. She's kind of logical. You combine scattered and logical, you get the scatological, which is implied in Is That Bullshit. But today we're going to go for it and go for it hard. Because we're talking about the squatty potty with the aforementioned Maria Konnikova. Thank you for joining us again, Maria. Thanks so much, Mike. This is going to be the shittiest Is That Bullshit segment that's we've right. ever had. That's right. And then, you know, if the listeners crap all over us, we don't know if that's tribute or condemnation. So let us talk about the squatty potty. Is this a device that exists only because it rhymes? That, by the way, is my theory about soap on a rope. 
<laughs> you know, it's actually so true that devices that rhyme and yeah. things that rhyme do yeah. better. Yeah. And there have been psych studies on this. Okay. On things that I, I wasn't even planning on talking about mm-hmm. this, but there have been things that, so um, for instance, if you're choosing the name for a new company and yeah. you're choosing your stock market ticker symbol, um, the ones that do best, companies tend to have better IPOs and actually end up doing better when it's a really easy to pronounce one and like a cute one. Yeah. And when you have rhymes, people remember the name and they remember jingles. So so yeah, I think yeah. that part of its success is the fact that it's a squatty potty. You're absolutely right. I do think I wanted to do a cross-cultural survey to see in languages where soap does not rhyme with rope, if that's even offered. And as proof of concept, what other kinds of nurple besides purple do people ever even talk about? I think we rest our case. Yeah. I, now, think, I think that's the end of the segment. Now we, on to the we, squ- we figured out why Squatty Potty is doing well. On to the Squatty Potty. It, and it is doing well. So the Squatty so, Potty is, yeah. well, let's define the device. Right. So the Squatty Potty was invented by this guy named Robert Edwards, uh-huh. who was a 37-year-old contractor yeah. whose mom suffered from constipation. Uh-huh. And she would always travel with this little stool that she would put next to the toilet when she pooped and put her feet on it because it helped her not be constipated. And she would always carry this with her and her family would make fun of her and get really annoyed. And then he's like, okay, mom, I'm also a designer. He's a contractor designer. Mm -hmm. He's like, let me make one for you that's a little more inconspicuous. So they made one for for her and it was working well and the rest is history especially when they introduced the squatty potty unicorn and that's when it went from 11,000 sales a year to millions so so i've seen one but how big are they you put it what do you do you put it sort of on so top you, of the toilet no you put it around the base of the toilet yeah and um, so, it's so it's permanent. It's hard to travel with. No, no, it, you, it moves. You okay. Can, yeah, yeah. So it's it's this little thing. It's kind of like a half circle so that it fits around the bottom of the toilet. Uh-huh. And then you can just slide it in and out. But you can also just keep it there. Okay. And you put your feet on top of it and then you poop. You poop. Now, are you really standing up or squatting? Okay, so, so <laughs> here's the thing. It's saying that you're squatting, right? Because it's called a squatty potty. And it says that it's, it makes a lot of claims that it's scientifically based because it's scientifically proven that it's easier to poop when you're squatting as opposed to when you're sitting normally. And that basically, yes, that we are pooping all wrong. Yeah. So So let's let's interrogate the word normally in that sentence. Right. So, so basically the squatty potty aha moment, if, Mm -hmm. if, if you if you will, I call it the no shit moment. <laughs> the no shit moment. Yeah. Yes, it comes from three major insights. One, we all have to poop. So an <laughs> yeah. average really adult an insider. Yeah, an average yeah. adult poops about three hundred pounds a year. Really? Yeah. Isn't that, that I've learned so <laughs> much by the way researching this segment. This is this one was definitely eye opening. Insight number two: yeah. the way we poop has changed over time. Sure. There used to not be any toilets. In right. fact. I found out that the first flush toilet was invented in 1591. Now, not by Joseph Crapper or Thomas <laughs> Crapper, right? That's that's more of a myth. Crapper was somehow involved, from what I understand, he was actually somehow involved in pipes, but he didn't invent the toilet. Right. Okay. No, the first flush toilet was 1591. All right. And then we didn't really start using them in a widespread fashion until the 19th century when sanitation improvements led to the ability for houses to have toilets um, in a lot of places. But before that, we would squat. And then the third insight is that over the course of the 20th century, there has been a rise in poop-related health problems. Poop-related. 
Yes, <laughs> poop related. So hemorrhoids, constipation, um, inflammation, like Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, appendicitis, and colon cancer have also been tied to problems pooping. So, Give me cause and effect that the actual physical form of pooping. All we know, so so far, there's no cause and effect. Okay, the, these are just facts. Yes. So. Yeah. Very so good. these are just these this are just things thing that's that going exist. On. Here's another and thing so, that's going on. And yeah. so what Edwards said and what other people have said, but he called it squatty potty and had a unicorn. Mm-hmm. So his actually took off, whereas a lot of others did not. By the way, if you look, people have tried to invent the squatty potty many times. Um, there have been lots of squatty potties that yeah. weren't called squatty potties well, that we don't know about. Invent a better squatty potty, the exactly. world will be the path to your Exactly. House. So what he said was, Hey, we must be pooping wrong. And that's why we're having all of these poop-related problems. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we should go back to nature. And I think this is also part of the whole rise of the what did cavemen eat, how did cavemen poop type right. of movement. So go back to the natural way of pooping by <laughs> squatting. And this will relieve all of the problems. So there is the, the idea behind it is that the angle at which you poop actually does matter because – there is <laughs> i've i've learned i've had so many vocabulary insights so there's something called the anorectal angle mm-hmm. and the ara yeah yes the see you know all about the ara <laughs> yeah. when the i'm a AR, proud member of the ara when the ara comes to your door yeah. <laughs> and so so this is basically the angle at which the poop is expelled right from. we've been making ara errors yeah. is what you say <laughs> um, so when you're sitting it's a different angle it's yeah. actually Angled, yes, and when you squat, fully Just squat, freeze it up exactly. Yes. So it it makes it into a kind of a straight straight shot. So you don't have to strain as much and the poop just comes out. That's okay. so that's the that's the idea behind it. So I saw so, the video of the unicorn, of the unicorn poop pooping. and they yep. say that you have this kink in your sphincter, right? And that so you're you're that's rolling the, your eyes. Well, that's that's the angle. I mean, yeah. there's not like that it's is not, the angle they're taking. Yeah, <laughs> that's the anorectal angle. That is the angle. when when you're sitting. Okay. So so it's uh it's not like we're walking around with a kink in our yeah. sphincter. It's just our posture <laughs> effects. Yeah. So listen, unlike a lot of these claims, and unlike a lot of the business associated with the squatty potty, I will say this does pass the smell test. There seems to be some. Logic to it. Sure. So there does. So I started looking at the literature to yes. try to figure out, you know, what's going on. And people have actually tested this. So in 2003, this was the first study that I could find that looked at different poop postures um, yeah. and how the poop posture translated into the timing and the satisfying nature of one's poop. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Did you post poop assessments? Yes, they did. Yeah. They had people rate how satisfactory their poop was. On a scale of two to two, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's this guy, this doctor named um, Dov Sikharov. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes, in Israel. <laughs> um, so he compared three different things. Um, sitting on a regular toilet. Sitting on a lower toilet, which is actually the equivalent of the squatty potty because the way that he made the toilet lower is by having a stool Mm -hmm. under it 
which effectively lowered the height of the toilet by uh, 10 centimeters. Yeah, your feet are exactly. kind of higher exactly. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's actually the squatty potty mm-hmm. condition. And then squatting, mm-hmm. actual squatting, where you had a whole toilet where yeah. you actually squatted over. Like in Asia. Exactly. I'm sure everywhere, but I've only done in, it in, in Asia. In lo- and I do not recommend it. In lots of parts of the world, yes. yes. Um, so he tested those three conditions. And he looked at the time of bowel movement and then he had them also self-report um, mm-hmm. the degree of straining okay. and how satisfying, um, satisfying. <laughs> yes the bowel movement was yeah. so what he found was that the actual shortest time for bowel movement was in the squat position um, so it was an average of 51 seconds as opposed to 130 seconds but there was no difference in the two sitting conditions hmm. And the time for satisfactory, I'm putting that in quotes because that was the self-reported when they felt satisfied. And the degree of straining, Mm -hmm. also self-reported, both of those were the lowest in the squatting condition. But there was, once again, no difference between the two sitting conditions. So the moral of that study is that the squatty potty doesn't differ from normal potty because you're not actually squatting. So when you're looking at those unicorn commercials, he's not squatting. The unicorn isn't. Yeah, the unicorn isn't squatting. Um, the squatty potty is a misnomer because right. that's just the shorter toilet. So this group from Japan who study the physiology of bowel movements looked at the study and they're like, oh, we need more precise measurements because self-reported satisfactory bowel movement isn't yeah. exactly right. So they looked at basically the same three conditions, sitting, um, stool, which they measured precisely, where you had an anorectal angle of 60 degrees to the body, mm-hmm. um, and squatting, which was 22.5 degrees hip flexing angle. What is the squatty putty's angle? Um, so that would that would be the 60 degrees. Okay. Yeah. And what's our a 90 is our regular? I guess. Yeah. I yeah. 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 Okay. That, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we're looking at the hip flexing degrees. Okay. Yeah. And then they measured, so they actually were, were doing two measurements um, during... Um, Bowel movements, yes. Um, abdominal pressure, which is a way to precisely measure how much you're um, actually straining. They measured that, and then they measured the exact anorectal inter- angle mm-hmm. because what they were looking to see is, you know, when does it actually open up? And so they found that with the stool, there was lower pressure than with the um, just regular sitting, but not statistically so. The only statistical difference was when you actually looked at squatting once again. And then in the two sitting positions, there was actually no difference in the anorectal angle. So insofar as we call it the kink in the sphincter, sphincter right? Sphincter kink, yeah. The sphincter kink does not get sphincter kinked kink, out. Sphincter kink, very popular in Japan. Yeah, yeah, it does not get kinked out. It's huh. still it's still there when you're using the squatty potty. Huh. The only thing that statistically differed where the anorectal angle did open up was in the actual squatting position where they squatted over the floor. Uh, so is this the is this most? Have you summarized most of the literature on squatty potties, or have they well, so looked into it again? Um, no, they haven't looked into that again. But there was a recent review about how we poop mm-hmm. and things that influence it. And one thing that I will say, um, and this was not actually, no one has mentioned this um, in the other studies, is that it's. You know, your posture is just one of multiple factors into how you poop. Right. Um, and one of the major factors is actually psychological. That is actually a huge factor. It's so the placebo effect. <laughs> so are you stressed? Are you anxious? Like 
so you can see this um, especially in little kids. So kids who have had painful experiences, they do something called withholding. Um, yeah. So then they don't go to the bathroom and they create all sorts of problems and it's completely psychological. There's no physiological reason for this. But then if you distract them, if you show them nice unicorns, then all of a sudden those problems can go away. Wow. Um, and so there's a huge psychological component to this. And I should have thought about that, obviously, with my background, but it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. And then, obviously, diet matters as well. Sure. Um, so there are all of these factors that matter. And so let's also talk about the final thing that the Squatty Potty does. They don't just say that this is going to make you poop better. It's going to say because you poop better, you're going to avoid all of these other health problems. So going back to cause and effect. Yeah. And there haven't actually... Going so far as to say that colon cancer, for instance, is going to be lowered because you poop better. And none of that has actually, there have been no connections between any of that. There haven't been any studies on that at all. But but there has been an established link between straining on toilets and uh, cardiac events. Yeah. So so you can have a heart attack or a stroke if you strain too hard. that way. Well, that's what people say. Yeah. <laughs> that's what people say. And so so there are lots of factors. Pooping is actually really complicated. And fascinating. And absolutely fascinating. And like Spinal Tap, huge in Japan. <laughs> yes, huge in Japan. <laughs> Although by sheer tonnage, huge in America. <laughs> I'd like the different cultural, the, the different cross-cultural statistics on poop per year. Okay, mm. we've come to our uh, branded segment of the show where we offer our judgment. So I will ask you, squatty potties can make us poop easier and can lead to better health. Is that, in this case, human shit or is that bullshit? So a lot of the claims do seem to be of the bullshit variety in the sense that squatting, if it were an actual squatty potty, yes, I think that it, the answer would be yes, mm -hmm. but it's not. And so from the data that we have, there should be really no difference between the squatty potty and a regular toilet. However, because of that last psychological component, I think if you believe the squatty potty will make you potty better, yeah. then it might actually help because we, we've talked a lot on the show about placebo effects. But the health claims and kind of the ease, I think, that's that's some shitty science. Yeah. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Biggest Bluff, and she played Is That Bullshit with us. Thank you for the straight poop. Thank you for shooting the shit. That was some far-flung dung. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. I cannot possibly match that sign-off, so I'm just going to Leave it at that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, just just leave one. Okay, very good. And now the spiel. Millionaires and billionaires, but mostly billionaires. Two weeks ago, Howard Schultz was a pretty bright guy who convinced us all to pay $4 for a cup of coffee. Then he announced his desire to bring his business skills to bear to a country he dearly loves, but which seems to be foundering. His theory is that extremists from both sides have an outsized hold on the conversation. America heard this call to moderation and offered the considered rejoinder, hey, shut the fuck up, you plutocratic moron. Go back to Davos That outburst of immoderation 
was greeted by nervous smiles and a smattering of booze at that salon of insurrection, a Barnes and Noble on the Upper West Side. There seems to be two schools of thought on Howard Schultz. One, he's an out-of-touch rich dude with nothing to say of our current predicament, who is entirely irrelevant to real voters, or that he's an out-of-touch rich dude with nothing to say, who might be a little bit relevant to real voters. And that could represent a dire threat to the prospect of defeating Donald Trump. Howard Schultz probably doesn't have much of a chance to be anything other than a spoiler. I guess the concern is, should he spoil Trump's defeat? Then he will be loathed. He is a billionaire and one devious enough to convince America that grande is a medium. So who knows? Politically impassioned Democrats hate Howard Schultz running. They hate his ideas and his biography and his wealth and the threat he represents, which may not be much, but if anything, they don't want to consider the possibility. They like their candidates who are in line with their values, values like Medicare for all. On CNN, Kamala Harris endorsed Medicare for all. I believe the solution, and I I'm, and I'm actually feel very strongly about this, is that we need to have Medicare for all. Later, host Jake Tapper tried to nail her down. And the idea is that everyone gets access to medical care. And you don't have to go through the process of going through an insurance company, having them give you approval, going through the paperwork, all of the delay that may require. Let's eliminate all of that. Let's move on. There is a decent critique to what Kamala Harris just said. That decent critique is not this. Well, you just played uh, Senator Harris as saying she wants to abolish the insurance industry. That's, that's not correct. That's not American. What's next? What, what industry are we going to abolish next? The coffee industry? Howard Schultz's opposition to Medicare for All rests in a weird reticence, a reticence to abolish the health insurance industry. Abolishing the health insurance industry would in fact be quite popular with Americans. It is a weird way to look at the world, or at least our part of the world, which is both democratic and capitalistic, to think, well, we could help people, and we could improve their health, and we could lower their costs, but some people making money off their health would be hurt. It's like saying, we shouldn't have an army because what will private mercenaries do? The better argument against Medicare for all is that almost half of all Americans get insurance from their employers. When you just look at people below Medicare age or eligibility, it's quite a high percent who get insurance from employers. Most people think this system is working for them. They, in fact, if they have a critique at all, it's that they'd like to get insurance from their employers, but they don't have employers or their employers don't give them insurance. Now, perhaps a different system would work better, but we have to admit it would be highly disruptive. If we were starting from scratch, you might want to go with a Medicare for all single payer system, but to go from what we have to that would be just about the greatest optional social experiment this country will have ever undertaken. And that, what I've just articulated, that is the real centrist argument. And that is almost exactly what Barack Obama's argument was for the eight years he was in office. Though now, Barack Obama says this. So Democrats aren't just running on good old ideas like a higher minimum wage. They're running on good new ideas like Medicare for all. Wait, so Barack Obama is backtracking from his stance that it would be too disruptive? Well, maybe not. First of all, you could say something is a good idea and still acknowledge its downside. Second of all, Medicare for all, it's kind of an exasperating term. It could mean everything I've been talking about, something like America becomes Canada or Britain with the NIH, or it could mean, and this is not what the Bernie bill says, but it is a definition of Medicare for all, something like everyone could be eligible to buy into Medicare. 
So no waiting until you're 65. Now that wouldn't exactly destroy private insurance, but it also wouldn't deliver all the supposed cost savings of a national system. It would also allow Kamala Harris to say, well, that's what I meant when I endorsed Medicare for all. Her aides seem to be pointing to that right now. Of course, (laughs) the difference between these two versions of Medicare for all is sort of like the difference between saying, I favor marijuana legalization and I favor a marijuana mandate, THC in the drinking water. We actually do need more accurate labels here. The public is confused. The candidates might be confused. Even if they're not confused, it's not good to give them so much wiggle room you don't even know what they're endorsing. Now, in a recent poll, Kaiser found that most Americans were in favor of, quote, a national plan called Medicare for All in which all Americans would get insurance through a single government plan. But also that 60% of respondents thought that they could keep their private insurance under such a plan. That might be ignorance, this next part's idiocy. When the questions that Kaiser asked included the phrase, Medicare for all would guarantee health insurance as a right, the support for this system jumped to 71%. But then when the poll mentioned, oh, you would have to pay more taxes, the popularity plummeted to 37%. At this point, it might pay to stop and ask all the candidates who are running for president. All the upstarts, all the firebrands, all the feisty senators, all the handsome former HUD secretaries, all the daughters of the Dust Bowl, all the men and women who never forgot where they come from, even the sensible but not terribly exciting Minnesota former prosecutors, all of them. I want you all to think about this. Do you really want to be in charge of such morons? You realize almost half the people who vote in America did vote for Donald Trump. Can you really look them in the eye or yourself? Healthcare is a right. Woohoo, popular. Healthcare is something I might have to pay for. Yuck, scorned. Literally, in that poll, 34% of all Americans want the right of healthcare without the cost of healthcare. These people seem ill suited to living in a democracy, or maybe, I don't know, they're like children or the adult brained. It's fine to have them accruing the benefits and blessings of a democracy. But actually, we're talking about them as the actual demos in the democracy. It's scary. The 34% who want the health care but don't favor the cost of health care are pretty much a core constituency of the Democratic Party. You really want to spend your time over two years courting those people? Well, as they say, especially if you have a great HMO, break a leg. Now, I want to pull back from my somewhat tongue-in-cheek statements there and be serious. I do understand the frustration and the confusion of the masses of Americans. I understand the temptation of politicians to want to appeal to these people, to sincerely want to improve the lots of these people. But I don't understand how we can think it's an obvious choice with only one answer and that you should get punished if you don't give that answer and that alternative solutions or very real concerns like Barack Obama consistently voiced should be enough to disqualify you from the nomination of the one party that has a shot to beat Donald Trump. I don't think some gajillionaire Java slinger is going to hurt Democrats. I think it's more likely to be an adherence to a stance that seems popular now, but threatens upheaval when presented to voters outside the in-group who are all drinking from the same Frappuccino. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader produced the gist. They're stand-up guys, and I'm not just talking about their bathroom habits. Now, sometimes in the credits I have a theme, and everyone who gets mentioned is part of that theme. I will not be doing that to TJ Raphael today. She is simply the senior producer of Slate Podcast. The gist. If you took to Tech Talk, you love my audiobook about hiking, 
Trek tricks with a Trek trick trope on each track. Um, Peru, 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 and thanks for listening.